Hey everybody, it's Allie and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, October 2nd. There have been a lot of developments this week about Diane's murder. Ronan is hot on the case. <laughs> He's got a whole lot of new evidence that's popping up every time he turns around and it all is adding up to exactly nothing. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's it's an overwhelming amount of evidence, honestly. And there are too many suspects. Like, I, I don't envy Ronan being in his position whatsoever because I certainly have... I don't know any more about who could have possibly killed Diane than I did on the day that it happened. But... This week there are a lot of kind of little clues that are coming to the surface. For instance, Ronan discovered that the key, which was found um, in Diane's throat when she when she died, actually unlocks a lockbox that she had at the hotel. It wasn't the room safe. She apparently had kept a separate lockbox down in the lobby, which is just now being revealed. And... Uh, Ronan goes to open up the lockbox, and what does he find inside? But Diane's diary, which I don't ever remember her writing in. She may have. There may have been a scene or two of her writing in the diary, but I barely remember it. Uh, 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 and of course, the entire time that Ronan is trying to figure out this little mystery, trying to get to the lockbox and open it, Abby is hanging around in the background, and she's very, very nervous, thinking that her recording is going to be in there. The, the Her taped confession, confessing to running over Tucker on purpose, she thinks that that's what's going to be in the box, since that's what Diane was holding over her. However, that's not exactly the case, and Abby was in, in plenty of, of trouble otherwise. Later in the week, Ronan actually had a, a, a really good idea. He's standing there looking at all of these stupid pillows. There, you know, all of those pillows that were hanging out on Diane's bed um, after she died. Uh, he has the idea that each of these pillows... <sighs> I hate the stupid pillows. I can't tell you. Every time those freaking pillows come into a scene, I'm like, give me a break. I'm, I'm literally disgusted <laughs> by the existence of these pillows. I don't know why it bothers me so much, but it's so just lame. But anyway, Ronan starts to realize that each of these pillows represents one of the suspects in some way, and he puts two and two together in his sexy, sexy brain and realizes that the one that says, um, oh, I don't even remember what it said, girls just want to have fun, it represents Abby, and just on a whim, he whips out his knife and starts hacking into this piece of evidence, and the detective is there with him going, Ronan, no, don't destroy the evidence, but on his whim, he, he, he was correct. He rips open the pillow and realizes that there is a zip drive inside, and that is where Diane was holding the evidence of Abby's confession, which doesn't make any sense because the key was in no way connected to that pillow and where she hid it, yet Diane was wagging the key in front of Abby's face. So that was obviously a complete red herring. That was intended to throw us off of this trail. And there are a million other things just like that. I mean, Ronan finds the diary and he's looking through Diane's writing and mostly the main thing that comes out of the diary 
is Diane had some writings which kind of point to if she was going, well, she said explicitly, if I'm going to be murdered, Adam's going to do it. Adam's a psychopath and it's Adam and he's getting ready to, you know, he's a loose cannon and I know he's mad, you know, at me. And, and those were her feelings about Adam. And that was the main development that came out of that. Although she sort of, in her writings, implied that Victor could possibly have hurt her too. But from the diary, more evidence pointing toward Victor and Adam. And Victor also has footprints that were found at the scene. He tried to dispose of the shoes that he was wearing, but Ronan was able to track them down at a Goodwill nearby and bring those in for evidence. So both Adam and Victor have a lot of evidence. And Abby, really. It kind of is, is surfacing a, a little bit that uh, Victor and Adam and Abby are the main suspects. But uh, I thought that... Victor and Adam had a very interesting moment this week. Ronan's trying to just put together the pieces. He doesn't care if he's going through the proper procedure or not. He just wants to catch these people saying what the truth is so that he can somehow get toward the truth. Whether it's going to be admissible or not, he needs to know in his mind who killed Diane. So he calls Victor and Adam into his office, and unbeknownst to them, while he's out of the room... He's recording Adam and Victor having a conversation together, both ending up admitting that they were at the park on the night of Diane's murder. And, you know, more interesting than any of this new evidence that's coming out, I thought was the scene between Adam and Victor where Adam starts to break down a little bit. And we're seeing some more of that this week. I thought, I honestly, more than any of the evidence that's being revealed. I feel that the breakdown of Adam's character is becoming the most interesting because he has this almost, you sense a twinge of, of guilt, you know, in his, in his eyes, in his voice, in the way he's holding himself. Because as Victor and Adam are being recorded by Ronan, Adam has this moment where he looks at Victor and he just says to him, you know, do you ever wish that things were different between us, Dad? And he called him dad, which he almost never does, unless it's in sort of a dear old dad kind of way. I mean, it was very tender, and, and Victor just kind of looked at him, like, and promptly decided to just retur return phone messages. Barely acknowledged that Adam even asked him a question, but I, it, I thought it was significant. You know, Adam seems to be, whether it's an act, I don't know, but since he's gained his eyesight back, he seems to be kind of um, softening up. He's tenderizing a little bit. And he also had this tender moment this week with Heather. They were sitting at the bar, and and he, I think he was, he was clearly manipulating her, trying to get information out of her about the case, uh, anything she might know about where Ronan's head is, and she catches him right away. She says, you know what, you're not going to plug me for information. And Adam sort of does this little, you know, sad little boy routine with her, like, you're right, I was trying to play you for information, but I still, you know, I pre appreciate your friendship, and he even brought up, like, he was trying to remember old times of when they slept together and when they were together and that there were good times between them, which worked in his favor later on in the week because all of this evidence that Ronan has pointing toward Adam, Ronan actually tried to, to hold Adam for questioning, you know, and, and he, he wanted to 
you know, throw his ass in jail until he got more information. But it was Heather that ended up ultimately coming to Adam's rescue. So that little heart-to-heart with her ended up making uh, things easier and better on Adam. But again, I just think that that's an interesting twist um, in his character. Whether or not it's authentic, I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think Adam is coming unraveled? Um, Or do you think it's all part of another one of his larger plans? So... Aside from Victor and Abby and Adam being the main focus, there's still two little people that are floating out here that Ronan is really focusing in on, and that is Nick and Ashley. He, I Honestly, I don't think that Ronan thinks that either Nick or Ashley killed Diane. I think he just wants to get information out of them because he knows that they're hiding something. And Ronan, so cleverly, went to Phyllis, and he told her that he's trying to focus in on Nick and Ashley, and ended up kind of plugging her with a little bit of information. Phyllis, of course, goes right back to Nick, starts, you know, learning the whole truth. Nick actually tells Phyllis the whole thing about the blackmailing and that he and Ashley were together in the park. Ronan was betting on the fact that Phyllis would be jealous about the idea that Nick and Ashley were involved together in this Diane thing. So Phyllis goes right to him and learns the whole truth. And at the same time, Nick had just received another letter, another blackmail attempt from the, you know, the the big blackmailer, the secret blackmailer. This person wanted $50,000 from him and uh, told him to meet him at the warehouse, at this empty warehouse. So Ashley has to go off to deal with other things, but Nick and Phyllis us together decide, all right, we're going to go to the warehouse. We're going to find out who this blackmailer is once and for all. The buildup of who the heck was the blackmailer who's been sending Ashley photos, who's been sending Nick letters and, and playing that voicemail on his number a million times over. It culminates in this meeting at the warehouse in which we end up learning <laughs> that the entire time the blackmailer was Ronan. He was trying to shake them down out of the tree, trying to get information out of them. So Phyllis and Nick ended up walking in on this police sting and and, and learning that truth. And as a result, Ronan has Nick and Phyllis being held for questioning right now. So there's been a lot of um, development on Diane's murder. Oh, and, and can, by the way, can we just take a moment to talk about Nick's new hair? <laughs> You knew I wasn't going to let that one go. What do you think? How are you feeling about Nick's new hair? It's shorter now, and and normally it annoys me when Nick's hair gets really short because he's got such a cute face, and I and he's got just a light wet curl, a little wavy curl in his hair that's so cute, and it normally really ticks me off when they cut his hair short, but I... I have to admit that it this new haircut actually looks pretty good. It's not the same as the previous buzzes that he've had that he's had that have been really bad. Like normally they'll buzz his hair and it's all the same length. It's just like a straight up buzz cut like your mom could have done it in the sink um in her kitchen sink on a Sunday afternoon after dinner just to give you a freebie haircut. But this haircut that Nick has now is more like tailored. It's like short on the sides, or it's like buzzed short on the sides, but it's got a little more length on top. He's looking very hip, and he was wearing this v-neck t-shirt on Friday and the sweater over it, and it just looked really good. I like seeing Nick in casual clothes with his hip new haircut. He's looking very young, very cool, and um, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying Nick's new hair. Now, the thing about all of this 
Diane crap is I st I feel confused. I mean, there there have been a lot of developments this week, but as I'm watching, I'm finding myself not fully engaged in the action. And I will tell you right now that if Ronan were not involved in this case, if it weren't Ronan going around to everyone, I would not be anywhere near as interested. Because the problem with this storyline, and you know I don't like to criticize, but the truth is the problem with this storyline is that we, the viewers, have become so far removed from the details now. I mean, I can't remember everything and all of the little clues that happened, all of the little you know, details of the night that Diane died. I can't remember that six to eight weeks ago, from six to eight weeks ago. It's been six to eight weeks since Diane died, something like that. And I just, I feel like YNR has awaited way too long. They've just waited way too long and uh, to, and, and blown the whole storyline for me. It's like, I'm here, but I'm not fully engaged, and I don't even really care about the journey anymore. Like, part of me just wants to know who did it, so I can just get it over with. Uh, I know that's horrible to say, but I want to know who did it. I don't care about all the little steps in between. I'm losing interest. I just want to know who killed Diane Jenkins, and I want the person that killed Diane Jenkins to make sense. If it turns out that it's Nikki, I've said this from the beginning, if it turns out that it's Nikki all along, I'm going to be annoyed because it just feels like this diversion, you know, just the whole thing has just been diversion, diversion. And I knew from the beginning that there was no way we were going to be able to predict with any accuracy who the killer was. I mean, it's just, I, the, the whole thing is, I wish they just would have resolved it. I wish they would have wrapped it up when the storyline was hot, when everybody cared, and now they've just waited too long, and I, I am, it's losing steam. I just want to know who killed Diane Jenkins, I want it to make sense, and I want some justice for Kyle. I just realized that I had a hilarious dream. I think it was like Wednesday night or Thursday night, but oh, this is so ridiculous. Basically, in my dream, Ronan and Jill were having sex. <laughs> Ronan and Jill were like going at it, doing it. And the weird thing was, is like, I have really intense dreams. So this is not, it's weird, but it's not weird in the scope of my weird dreams. But like, Ronan and Jill are doing it. And the whole thing is taking place on this like psychedelic background, you know, like from, you know, like the 70s or something, you know, TV where they had those like swirly, swirly effects in the background. It was like swirling psychedelic background and Jill and Ronan doing it right in front of that. It was so freaking weird. I don't even know. It's just, Ronan just has this, he just has this sex appeal. He's just rattling around in my head is this intense a uh, sex monster. <laughs> and I just, I guess I, I know in the back of my head that Jill really needs to get some. She still, she needs to get laid. So maybe that was what the connection was. But I mean, like, Ronan just has sexual chemistry with everyone. You could easily pair him with Jill. And it would be like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, maybe it's me, but I just feel like, like he is hot with anyone you pair him with. This week... There were a lot, there was a lot of implication of Ronan and Phyllis. 
Like, a lot of sexual flirtation happening between them. They had, like, two separate interactions that were blatantly, like, Ronan was kind of checking her out. Whether it was part of his strategy, I don't know. Whether it was part of her strategy, I don't know. But the point is, Ronan and Phyllis were kind of hot together, and I feel like it would be interesting to see, like, a Chloe-Ronan-Phyllis triangle. Wouldn't that be kind of different? I mean, just because Chloe's kind of younger, Phyllis is a little older, and I want to see Ronan pulled in some some different directions just because he's so usable. He's such a hunk. He could really be paired with anybody, and it was fine. I mean, I'm telling you, Ronan had a, <laughs> he had an interaction with Kane again this week, and it, it, there's something about <laughs> Ronan and Kane that is totally appealing to me. Like, they're just, I don't know, like, they're just sex is in the air. <laughs> That's what it all boils down to. Sex is in the air, and I just, I, I want Ronan to just hump everything and everyone in Genoa City. That's what it boils down to, folks. And it is kind of sad. Things, Ronan and Chloe have hit a bump. There's been a bump in the road. And I I knew that the Stelia thing was just not going to be, it was not good in any way. I knew as soon as it happened. Um, So, last week, Chloe planted that kiss on Kevin and, you know, thinking that he is her savior for being the bone marrow donor for Delia. And Kevin was clearly caught off guard by it. It clearly does not feel good for him to have this affection placed on him by Chloe when it's not really real. I mean, the truth is, Chloe has misplaced feelings for Kevin You know, she is seeing him as a hero right now, and she's needing somebody right now, and it should be Ronan, but Kevin's there, and he's, it's all the right things. She sees him as this guy that's always been her best friend, and now he's coming in and he's doing this extra thing for her, and her mind... It's becoming fate, you know, and it's, it is misplaced because I don't think that Chloe has ever felt for Kevin the way that Kevin feels for Chloe. And Kevin also admitted this week that he does still have feelings for her. And that makes me sad. It, it makes me sad because I think that Kevin deserves to have his feelings returned in full. And I have a feeling that even if Chloe and Kevin do get together again, it's just going to be heartbreak for him. And I don't want that to happen. But (sighs) Kevin's in this mind space of, you know what? I do care for Chloe and I do want to seize the day on this. And if she wants me now, I'm going to go with it. So there was this scene at the coffee house where... Chloe kind of comes in and she's feeling shy and awkward about the fact that she kissed Kevin and she kind of apologizes to him and says, I'm really sorry, I shouldn't have done that and it won't happen again. And Kevin at first thinks, yeah, you know, maybe that's for the best. But then it kind of rings in the back of his head that he needs to seize the day on this opportunity. And just as Chloe's kind of walking away feeling awkward, Kevin grabs her and sweeps her up in a passionate kiss. And who walks in the door? (laughs) Right behind... Ronan. Ronan walks right in the door, into the door, sees Kevin and Chloe kissing, and just really doesn't even miss a beat. 
he sees it and just walks right on by. And that bothers me because, like, I know that Ronan has feelings for her, but he is the kind of person that does not let it show. I mean, he is in robot mode. Like, you know, I think Chloe is the only person who's really been able to melt that metal that is all around him, that shield that he carries. And and I think seeing them together hurt him, but he just knew that he couldn't let it show. And it was such a disappointment. I think this is going to be, unfortunately, a major ro- roadblock for Clonin fans. Billy has shifted all of his attention now to Victoria. He misses his old life. He screwed up royally, and he wants it back. I, I I personally feel like he should be focusing on Delia at the moment, but right now he is honed in on what's going on with Victoria. He went to Victoria's house last week, thought he saw Victoria and Sam in a compromising situation, and now he just has that radar on. He wants to know what's up. I thought it, you know, I thought it was interesting this week because he... It has this initial reaction of self-destruct. As soon as anything bad happens to Billy, it's self-destruct. He pushes that button, and he starts, you know, wanting to drink again. And Victor, who keeps paying him these warden-like visits in his trailer, decides to bring him, like, this huge half-gallon bottle of booze. And he's like, here you go, Billy. You know what? That's what you always do. Drink it away. You got a problem? Drink it away. And Billy, it's, it's sort of interesting because Victor's disdain for Billy is sort of having this adverse effect. You know, Billy doesn't want, more than anything, doesn't want Victor to be right about him, doesn't want to believe that he isn't good enough for Victoria. So Billy, in this really dramatic moment, takes this bottle of expensive liquor that Victor brings to him, of of course, in a way, just being, you know, Victor in his mind thinking, yeah, just get drunk, just so long as you're staying away from my daughter, whatever. But Billy takes this bottle of booze and pours it right down the drain. I mean, you think you have this moment of thinking, yeah, there he goes again. And no, he just pours it right down the drain. So he's kind of getting back into the fold. You know, he's getting back to where he wants to get his life on track. And Victor is constantly telling him, you're not good enough for my daughter. Stay away from my daughter. And that is what makes him want to do it more. That is exactly the reason. So this week, Billy basically can't stay away from Victoria. It's all he's thinking about. He's he's reading her emails. He wants to be around her. And part of that is is because he's being told not to. It's uh, the forbidden fruit effect. He wants what he cannot have. So... Billy ends up going over to Victoria's house again, thinking that he's going to kind of get a better sense of what the situation is between Victoria and Sam because Michael ended up telling him that it was Sam who Victoria, who was living with Victoria, that this was the guy, or he kind of put together that it was Sam. And Billy does not like the fact that Sam is now on his territory. He wants Sam out of the freaking picture. So Billy kind of goes over there to get a uh, an idea of what's going on on that scene. And it's it's kind of cute. He ends up, of course, in the house when there's no one there and the dog's barking at him and he has to kind of make friends with the dog. And it's humorous. And then, of course, Victoria comes home and he has to hide in the closet. And, and then Sam comes and they're talking to each other and Billy's in the closet the entire time. And everything that Victoria and Sam are 
saying to each other ends up sounding like more than it is. I mean, they're, for instance, saying how they have affection for the dog, and Billy is interpreting it as they're giving affection to each other. So in Billy's mind, Victoria is moving on with Sam, and he's not happy about it. It's it's He ends up like getting all of the wrong impressions, going home, back to his trailer, and now he's Mr. Mopey Pants. Mr. Mopey. Uh, until he, he ends up having a conversation with John in his mind, and John sort of tells him that he needs to start to learn to, to, to move on. If indeed Victoria has moved on with Sam, Billy needs to, to move on with his life too. And it's just, it's, 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 it's equated to this sort of, um, you know, it's a, a comedy of errors, really, what's going on with Billy and Victoria at this point, because she, on uh, you know, in her way, is trying to tell him that she wants him back, but also trying to act like she's not completely uh, missing him, or like she's trying to move on, and uh, at, the, at the, the very end of the sequence, Victoria sends Billy an email saying, you know what, I'm still not over you, I still care about you, and I want you to come home, and after this conversation with John, Billy decides to look at the email, not read its contents, and delete it. So Billy is left with this impression that Victoria's moved on. Victoria's still wondering and pining over him the entire time. And it's it's tough. It's a tough situation. I hate watching it because I do think that they make a very good couple. My main argument here, though, is that Billy is acting like Victoria, or he has been acting like Victoria doesn't have a right to move on. I mean, like or that Victoria doesn't have a right to be upset with him. The the thing that ticks me off about Billy is that he left her. He left Victoria long before he left town, long before he went to Asia, long before he did whatever in the heck it was that he did in Asia. He left her. Do you remember the last time that they were together? Victoria's laying on the couch after they have just, I don't think they had sex. I think they were, like, having just kind of an intimate moment. She gets up to get a soda, and he bolts out the door. That's what he does. So, okay, Billy, you know, I'm, I am I want you to be back with Victoria. I understand how you're feeling. I can understand that you're upset by what you think is going on with Victoria and Sam. But, buddy, let's not act like you did not make your own bed here. Okay, because everything that has happened, all of this that has happened, ruining your life with Victoria, whatever in the heck it was you did in Asia, it is all because of your own actions, all right? I love you, Billy, but you made your bed, and you got to lie in it. The walls are closing in on Colin. The entire time that he was locked in the wine cellar with Gloria, he underestimated her big time. He thinks that she didn't see anything that was going on, but Gloria had her senses about her. She ended up seeing that he was rifling through the uh, the safe, you know, trying to get this information. And she also saw a darker side of Colin. He got really, really angry at what Genevieve did to him, and she realized that he's kind of a dangerous guy. So Gloria, I think, is going to, in the coming weeks, play a really important uh, role in bringing Colin down. As we all know, he's going down soon, and Kane is going to play the main part in that, which I think should be entertaining to see. It's it's now Kane's, Kane's turn. I mean, Colin 
has been the source of so much of Kane's misery, and now he's gonna be the one to take him down. I don't know where Genevieve is. Where Genevieve? She's gone on her trip. Isn't it about time for her to come back soon? I, I'm so curious to know if if Genevieve is gonna be hanging around uh, after Colin is gone. But at this point, we have Kane pretty much uh, having a lot of conversations with Ronan, tr- trying to catch Colin, trying to find out what his little business dealings are, and to expose him, to try to get him thrown into jail before he does any more damage. And it's becoming a really sweet bridge back to Lily and Kane. You know I can't help it. I can't help it. I want it. <laughs> I tried, but I just, I, I have to have my Lily and Kane. Uh, Lily is starting to realize that Colin's around. He's staying in Genoa City, and he's, in fact, looming over her. There was a scene at the park this week where she's sitting there having um, a fun little time with her children, and Colin comes up and casts this huge shadow over her little play date, over her time with her family. And I don't know if that was intentional. Um, Part of me thinks no. Like, I don't know if Colin was following her on purpose. Part of me thinks no. But it, it is certainly possible. Colin's a bad guy. He tried to steal her children. He tried to drive her insane, put her in the mental hospital. So Lily is still in this kind of fragile state, and she's afraid of Colin. And she had a conversation with Kane last week and told him, hey, why are you not working harder to get him out of here? Let's step it up. So that's exactly what Kane's doing now this week. And it's just slowly Kane's starting to work his way back into Lily's life. Really, we all know all he needed with one foot in the door, and pretty soon that door is going to be wide open for a Kane and Lily reunion. I just, I feel like <sighs> the passion between them never died. Even when she thought that Kane was dead, the passion between them never died. And when she realized that he was still alive, the passion just, I think, got covered up for a while, just covered up with all of his lies, and I, which I don't condone, which I don't condone at all, but, you know, I'm trying to understand things from Kane's perspective, and, and I feel that if he can be honest with Lily for a change, if he could see her as a partner for a change, then I'm all for the reunion, I really am, I, I, I love them together. Um, the problem is, though, their relationship really always has been based around Kane trying to protect Lily from his past. That really is the source of everything. Kane Kane's lies, if you want to count them, are he lied to her about his identity. You know, he told her he was Philip Chancellor. That was directly because he was running from his past. And he lied to her about Colin. He lied to her about the danger that inserted itself into their lives, and that was, of course, related to Colin, too. So if Cain can cut off the head of the beast, I don't see anything else that could, you know, become a problem for Lily and Cain's relationship. It, it just is that, you know, it's always, their relationship has always been predicated on him trying to protect her. Cain is the protector, And I'm a little bit worried that that's kind of what foot we're starting off on again now, because she's looking to him to save her from Colin, to protect her from this evil presence in her life. So it's sort of like, I feel like the cycle is starting over again, but maybe that's what Lily needs. 
maybe that's what Lily wants. Maybe Lily wants the protector. I mean, as as long as it's not him that he's that she needs protecting from. As long as Cain isn't the danger in her life, then I think that there's no reason that they can't get back together. Um, they took a little trip this week to the dance studio, to Drew's dance studio, and they had a reunion moment with Madam, and it's it's all amounting just to a lot of sentimentality between Lily and Kane. That was the place where Kane proposed, and um, it was a cute little moment where Lily had an opportunity to tell Madame <clears throat> that they were divorced, chose not to, and Madame is looking at them and saying, you know, you guys just still seem like newlyweds, you know, she's sensing that there's still love there, and there is, there just undeniably is, and I have to tell you that I think the most important development on this entire front, and probably one of the more moving and amazing scenes of the week, was when Neil showed up at the dance studio. So Neil walks in, and he sees that Kane and Lily are together. And we know how Neil feels about Kane. Neil is not thrilled about the idea of Kane being back in Lily's life. All he has done is cause her pain from Neil's perspective. And so he he walks in, sees them together, and you kind of get the sense that Neil's going to give Lily another lecture on the dangers of Kane. Kane goes off, and Lily and Neil have this little private moment together. And I am telling you guys, Neil was a freaking hero this week, if you ask me, because he just looks at her with intent and love, and you can see it all on his face, you can see it all in his eyes, and he says to her, you know, I don't always agree with your decisions, but he tracked her down this week just to tell her, you know, it's my instinct to try to protect you, Lily. You're my child. Of course, I'm going to try to protect you the same way that you would try to protect protect Charlie and Maddie. But, and here's the key moment, Neil tells her, you know what? That instinct, my instinct to protect you, should never override your ability, your right to make your own decisions about your own life. Hello? Hello? Neil is... The father that Victor needs to learn to be. I wish that Neil could pass that little chunk of wisdom on to Victor and pretty much all of the other parents in Genoa City. I mean, like, the fact that Neil showed that maturity just, it rocked me. It astounded me because he could have gone on forever pushing Lily and Kane apart, pushing them apart, but he realized that that's not the way it works and that he was kind of, you know, you don't want to end up turning into Victor. Victor's the extreme example of what happens when you do that. I mean, you, you don't go bribing people to get your way just because you don't like who your daughter is seeing. You don't go setting up elaborate scenarios just to catch the guy in some kind of horrible situation. You respect your daughter's decision. And that's exactly what Neil did this week. And I really thought that that was the moment of the week. And I, I just, I love Neil for what he did. 
holy crap, is Jack actually going to be able to get Jabot back in his hands? That dangling carrot that's been just right in front of his face for all of these years, is he actually going to grab it? Uh, it's looking that way. It's actually looking good for Jack. Like, the viewers might actually get the answer to their prayers because Jack has realized that he's never going to be happy just being in a management position at Jabot. Jabot is his destiny. I mean, for crying out loud, we all know it. And last week, Tucker made him uh, a little bit of a deal. Like, if you help me get Jabot away from Catherine, I'll make sure that you have an ironclad job at Jabot forever. Which Jack realized as a result of a conversation with John who came to see him this week in his own mind. I love this side of Jack's personality, too. I love when he has a conversation with with John, because it's almost like his the two, the angel and the devil sitting on his shoulder. But as a result of this conversation with John, he realized that he doesn't just want to be, an, he doesn't want to just have another boss. Who? What's it matter if Catherine or Tucker are in charge of Jabot? He's just going to be another pawn, you know, and it hurts him immensely to see that the company that his father worked his entire life to build has now just become a, a piece in this game between Catherine and Tucker. And so Jack actually, through the conversation with John, realizes that he needs to go all the way. John surprises him and tells him, you know what? If you're going to make this move and go against Catherine, then you need to make sure that you benefit from it. And <laughs> I just thought it was really, really amazing. Jack realizes without John even having to say it that, wow, you're telling me to go all the way here. So Jack turns around, goes back to Tucker and says to him, you know what? You need revenge on Catherine more than you need Jabot. Okay, let's... Let's get that straight. So what you need to do is, I'll, I'll, no, I'll help you get Jabot back from Catherine, but you're going to sell it to me because you don't need Jabot. You don't care about Jabot. It's not about Jabot. It's between this feud between you and your mother, and why don't you just deal with it and give me Jabot? And if you don't, I'm not going to testify uh, on your behalf. I'm not going to help you get, uh, get Jabot back because there was a hearing this week, an arbitration in which um, they're finally going to decide whether or not it was fair that Catherine took Jabot. So Jack finds himself in this kind of middle position where he needs to either help Catherine or help Tucker, and we all know that Jack is on Jack's side. So we're going to see how it pans out. Um, I'm pulling for Jack, to be honest with you. I, I don't know where the heck Jack is going to get the money to buy Jabot from Tucker because it seems like all of these years Jack's major problem or at, at many different junctures when Jabot has come into play Jack has not been able to buy it because he didn't have the money but I don't know suddenly Jack has the money he's pulled it together and uh, there was a very uh, great uh, just I, I guess I've been enjoying kind of watching um, the angel and the devil on Jack's shoulder because he knows that working with Tucker is going to benefit him more but he still feels obligated to Catherine because she's an old family friend and I know we've been talking so much lately about how Catherine has turned into this evil witch and I would be remiss if I did not talk about Catherine paying a little visit to Jack this week knowing that this arbitration is on the table it's coming up and knowing that she's going to need Jack's help to testify on her behalf Catherine goes to Jack and suddenly she's a sweet old lady 
again. Suddenly, she's telling, you know, him, uh, you know, you're a son to me. You're like a son to me. She actually said that. You know, she totally, like, lays this guilt trip on Jack. And Jack's just sitting back like, oh, now you need me. Now I can help you. Because a couple of weeks ago, it was all about, hey, my name's in the door. I'm Catherine Chancellor, and you're just an employee of mine. And now he's a son to her. It was just disgusting. It was ridiculous. And Catherine doesn't even need Jabot. Catherine doesn't need Jabot any more than Tucker needs Jabot. She never did. I She wanted to sell it a couple of months ago. A couple of months ago, it was like some kind of plague like it was it was a it was a burden on her shoulders and now all of a sudden it's like the it's some great natural resource that must be held on to at any cost she has no emotional connection to Jubot the way that the abbots do neither does tucker so it's just it's i feel it i feel that we might actually be moving i'm gonna i hope this is true but i feel like we might actually be moving towards Jubot, getting back in the hands of the abbots which is exactly where it needs to be, and uh, where we left off, uh, where we last left off, uh, we're at the arbitration, everybody's in place except for Jack, and Jack walks right into the room, and there's this moment of, what is he going to do? Is he going to side with Tucker? Is he going to side with Catherine? And he just has this sort of shameful moment almost. He almost seemed like a dog that just crapped on your carpet and knows that he did the wrong thing. He kind of puts his head down a little bit and goes and takes a seat at Tucker's side of the table, blindsiding Catherine. So it looks like things might actually be working out for the Abbots for once. Ashley is getting geared up. She wants to be involved in Jabot too. She's, you know, she's back ready to devote some of her life into, into Jabot. And I, I just got to tell you, I think that's the right thing to do. I think the Abbots deserve to have Jabot after all of this time. And I really, really hope that that's the direction that we're headed. Um, this is Betsy, and I was just listening to your um, most recent podcast, amazing podcast. Thanks again for doing this. It's so fun to listen to you and all your insightful points. And I have a couple of comments. Um, first of all, I um, agree with you wholeheartedly that Victor is just turning evil. I used to always vote for Victor no matter what, even when he was being kind of bad. But this stuff with Delia and Billy is the most retarded awful storyline and I, I don't even think that Victor would really be that evil and it's really stupid that Michael's involved in this in any way shape or form I, I just I hate the storyline so much I want Billy to grow a pair and tell Victor to shove it and go to the hospital and say that he's the donor and just suck up whatever the consequences is of everybody knowing what big bad thing he did in Asia who cares at least you'll be there for your daughter um, and I agree with you that Victor and Catherine probably need Nikki to make them stop being um, major a-holes. Okay. Um, Devon and Abby, I like calling them Dabby. I think that they are cute and would um, maybe make a cute couple in the future. So I sort of like what they're doing with that, especially given that Abby hates Tucker, um, Devon hates Tucker, but then Tucker's Devon's father, etc. So it could be kind of fun. Um, and lastly, I just want to say that I will be so happy when Daisy gets out of jail and takes her baby away from Phyllis because Phyllis deserves to have that baby ripped out of her arms just the same way that the baby was ripped out of Victoria's arms because of Phyllis. And yeah, it's probably not the best thing for the baby, but at this point, I don't even, <laughs> I don't even care. I just want um, 
Phyllis to suffer because I just I can't stand her and I can't believe she's being such a jerk to her little sister who as you pointed out what could her little sister have done to make that household so much worse or whatever happened in their house so give me a break Phyllis um, you deserve to suffer we deserve to find out what um, happened in your house and I would love it so much if somebody would ever find out that she was the one who tried to run out run over Christine and Paul way back when so she can stop pretending like she's Miss Grace Two-Shoes and actually um, have to, you know, suffer some consequences just the way that she thinks that everybody else should suffer. Okay, that's all I have for you. Um, thanks again for your awesome podcast. Bye. Ooh, that's a, that's an interesting point. That's a good point about Phyllis. I mean, I guess in a way I kind of it gets into the back of my brain and I forget the circumstances, but I liked when you said she deserves to have that baby ripped out of her arms the way she did to Victoria. I can completely identify with that emotion. I mean, ultimately, I... I don't know. I I it's such a sticky issue. I've I've been able to see both sides of that debate the entire time. I just I'm going to just I'm in it for the drama. I don't however like what the way that Phyllis has been treating Avery. I mean, what is up with that? I and I I think the main thing to keep in mind here is that now that Avery is going to be working with Daisy to try to get the child back in Daisy's arms. Avery has decided that she's going to work on Daisy's behalf, and that means working uh, in opposition with Phyllis. And I think that no matter what comes down the pike after this, we need to keep in mind, Phyllis fired first. That's the important thing to keep in mind, because Avery came into town, I think, trying to mend fences with Phyllis, and it was Phyllis who decided to make it a contentious relationship. So Avery is going to be probably disrupting Phyllis's life, and I'm going to feel really bad about that, but I want to remember that if Phyllis had handled the situation better, if she could have embraced Avery, then I think whatever is going to happen between them now could have been avoided. So it's... It's it's going to be a sticky situation, but I'm still interested to see where it's going to go. And I think that there ain't no way around realizing that Avery is going to be sparking Nick's interest in the very near future. So I'm kind of excited to see where we're headed with that, too. And Dabby, why can't I? I'm no good at, like, naming couples. Like, I was like, what was it going to be Davabby? <laughs> Why can't I just, why is that so difficult for me? Dabby, yes, that makes sense. I like Dabby. I think um, that Devon and Abby could make a very interesting pair. And I warmed up to them a lot, even this week. Just, I like seeing them at the coffee house, laughing together. And even if it turns out to be just a friendship, I'm totally fine with that. But I am enjoying the dynamic between those two. It's like, Abby needs to have someone to just balance out her craziness a little bit more. And Devon, I think, needs to help have somebody help him unwind, because he seems a little on the stiff side. She's a little on the loose side, as we all know. So I think that they could make make a very interesting pair and of course I agree about Victor it's it's ridiculous and I love what you said about Billy he needs to suck it up whatever the consequences are I'm very curious to know what it was that he did in Asia but is it really going to be so bad in comparison to all of the other horrible things that he's done that no one is going to be able to forgive him I don't know I, I think frankly no matter what he did in Asia <laughs> Not being there for his daughter when she has cancer is worse. There's nothing that Billy could have done in Asia 
that is worse than what he is doing right now to his daughter, frankly. That's just my opinion. But I really appreciate you calling in with your opinion. It's so nice to hear from you again. You're kind of like, Betsy, when you call, you're kind of like, you're a little bit like um, low. Your voice is a little low. And in my mind, I'm imagining that like you're a ninja for like, you're like, no, you're like a government operative. You're like a secret agent for the government. And like you have this busy day of fighting crime and like terrorist activity. And then you just slip away for a moment moment and just talk very softly into your phone <laughs> so that the rest of your your government uh, uh, agents, the rest of your, your colleagues don't realize that you're taking a break from your heavy duty job to talk about YNR. <laughs> That's my that's my mental vision of you anyway. I love it. It's so awesome. I love getting feedback from you guys. It's so nice to hear your voice. It thrills me. And if anybody else wants to call in and leave a comment, uh, the telephone number is 309-588-4569. That's within the U.S. But if you're outside of the U.S., all you have to do is hit country code 1. And the telephone number again is 309 588-4569 to call in and leave me a voice comment or you can just shoot me an email. It's yrchat at live.com. Um, I'm here and I'm reading emails and responding to emails and I would love to chat, correspond with you guys about, about the show and hear what your perspectives are. It's always entertaining and insightful. So please do find a way to leave me a comment. You can also go to the blog at yrchatblog.blogspot.com and you can leave me a message there. Any way you slice it, just find a way to contact me. Get get it out. Get the opinions out. If you agree or disagree, doesn't matter. I still want to hear from you. I still love you. Okay. So, I think that's just about it for me for now. I'm going to go make some food for myself and um, enjoy the rest of my day. I hope you guys are enjoying your week. Um, And I'm going to be back next week to chat with you again about the show. So everybody take care. Love you so much. And we'll see you next time. Okay. Bye.